we're nearing the end of this series and finally the weather matches the season. Uh, finally, I, I wondered earlier in the week when it was 60 degrees and I had my convertible out on the road, I thought, here we go again. It's going to be almost like summer and we're going to be talking about winter. Uh, but no, God showed up. In the 14 inches of snow. We, we have been talking about the life of Joseph and the seasons that he is in. And as we come around to the end of this series, we'll wrap it up thinking about all the seasons next week. But as we talk about winter today, through the seasons of Joseph's life, we see God present and working. And it could be that you're finding some correlations to your own life. When you think about Joseph's journey and the, the ups and the downs and the, the fractured family relationships and the successes and the failures and the two steps forward and three steps back. Last week, Dave Ward took us through the season of fall and, and this experience of Joseph's life and fall and the, the harvest and the preparation and all that came with it. Joseph had interpreted Pharaoh's dreams and in doing so found himself with a new job and the result of that new job was that he was in charge of gathering, sowing, planting, and harvesting right before famine ensued. And so it says in Genesis 41, so with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses, distributed grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And the people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. This, this moment in time is a, a result, a culmination of Joseph's work. You've had this experience if you have a career or maybe you've invested deeply in a family culture, or whatever it is that you have invested your time and energy in, you've had this moment where you see some fruit that has come from hard work Maybe your customer base is growing or your family relationships have some intimacy or you sat around the Thanksgiving table or looked around your living room at a family event and you thought, this is because of these years that I've invested time and energy to have closeness and openness and connectedness. Whatever the fruit was, whatever the harvest was, maybe you've experienced the thing that Joseph experienced. And you can imagine Joseph thinking about the time that he was on his way in this caravan to a foreign land wondering what is God up to. Or maybe he's experiencing this movement from Potiphar's house to prison thinking is God even here? But every moment through every one of those seasons, Joseph, we hope, and in some ways this was true and maybe some ways it wasn't true, remain faithful, remain thoughtful, remain hopeful, prayerful. But we do know that the recorder of the story said that God was with him and his loving kindness was with him. And Joseph experiences the fruit of it. And, and this critical moment in history, it changes the trajectory, not just of one large, incredibly influential nation, but two, two nations, two groups of people are changed forever forever because of Joseph's role that he played because he, he stands before a, a world leader and Pharaoh says can you tell me what my dreams mean and Joseph says no I can't but God can God can and so he does and Pharaoh says and maybe you've done this maybe you've pointed out a problem at work and somebody says you know what that's your new job thank you for noticing 
you're now hired to fix it. This is what Joseph's job was now. Oh, thank you for noticing. That's great. Famine's coming. Why don't you figure that out? And Joseph used the gifts that God gave him, the gifts of administration, gifts of organization, gifts of delegation. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Joseph figuring out all of these things, trying to secure the, the various contracts that would be required for the, the grain that's going to be grown here and the grain that's going to be grown here and making sure that people don't use too much. We're preparing for years of famine. Joseph had all of this acumen and he puts it to work and now he's experiencing the fruit of it. So just to remind you kind of where we were last week, fall is the season of harvest, reaping, and results. That's what it is. That's what fall is. It's the moment where you take a moment just to sit down and look around and go, oh my goodness, this is incredible. I can't believe this. This is amazing. And you should do that. You should do that with your family. You should do it with your whatever it is that you have put energy and investment and effort into. You should occasionally sit back Walk out to your garden, your metaphorical garden, and look at what's growing. Look at the result of it and say, this is, this is good. I, this is good. God is faithful and I am thankful. That is the season of fall, isn't it? It's a season of gratitude. And we do that far too little, far too little, especially if you're a driven person, especially if you're a get it done person. Because there's always more to do, right? There's always more ground to cover, more land to conquer, more things to grow, more things to accomplish. Your to-do list isn't finished yet, but you should shove that aside occasionally. It's, it's what the fall season is about. It's why we have the Thanksgiving holiday. I mean, the, the, the corollaries, the parallels are endless. You should stop and assess and look and say, ah, this is good. This is what's happening. This is perfect. But that's not just what fall's about. It is the season of harvest, reaping, and results. But every season, all four, all four seasons are connected to what came before and what came, what will come after. So it, it is a season of harvest, reaping, and results. If you've done the hard work that spring and summer calls for, we've talked about that, right? What spring calls for, plowing and getting the soil ready and, and planting and sowing, all of those things. And summer itself calls for the tending, the paying attention, the weeding, the watering, and doing the same thing over and over again so often is rote, but you're good at it. You can just do it. You can do it with your eyes shut, your brain turned off. But it's also connected to the season that is to come. Fall is also a season that is a season of what? Preparation. I remember growing up watching Little House on the Prairie. Did you guys watch Little House on the Prairie? Little House on the Prairie, this was so obvious all the time. They didn't know. Pa didn't know if they were going to make it through the winter. And he would, you know, these, these rough Midwestern winters that they would have, it would all be about fall. And fall was about not just harvesting and eating, but it was about putting away and canning and securing and bundling up and doing all the things they had to make sure because he knew October, November, December, January, February, March. I mean, winter can be a long time in certain parts of our country. He knew that, you know what? We may not make it through the winter. It's going to depend on fall. It's going to depend on the harvest. And this is what fall is about. And this is exactly what was happening with Joseph and his time. Egypt, it would affect the entire world. And so fall is about setting aside. So if you're in a career, if, if you're 
reaping the harvest and the fruit of hard work done in an industry or an area or something in your job market, you're going to absolutely capitalize on that and reap an incredible harvest. But it's critical, critical that you understand that the fall season is not just about reaping. It's not just about a harvest, but you have to set aside. You have to take and live on this much while you set aside this. It's about laying up. It's about deciding that you will experience delayed gratification. How many of you would say, oh, among my skill set, delay gratification, that's right in the center. I'm really, really good at that. Yeah, no, I'm awful at that. Because I think if you can have it later, now is better. That's what I think. <laughs> Fall is about delayed gratification. It is about saying, I won't eat it all. I won't use it all up. I'm not fearful of a scarce future. I understand the purpose of the season. And this season is about preparation. And preparation matters. It matters because winter is coming. Right? It is. This is what we know. Winter is coming. And it's coming for Joseph. And it's coming for Egypt. And it's coming for the rest of the world, in fact. They're their known world at the time. And while we've been following this story of Joseph and we have this sense that the famine is getting worse in his Egyptian world, something's going to happen that will impact the rest of the world. And it says this. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses, distributed grain to the Egyptians, for famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And people from all around Egypt came to buy grain from Joseph and then what does it say? Say it with me. Because the famine was severe. And here we see this sort of blurring of lines between one season to another. This this blurring of lines between fall and winter. We've said it before, this, this metaphor of season and this understanding of seasons in our lives. It's a, well, the language of metaphor is imprecise is how we said it. That when spring comes, it comes in fits and starts. It can feel like winter one day and spring like the next. And this is true of all the seasons. You're not sure exactly which season you're in. You can't tell by looking at your weather app or even looking out the door. You, can, you don't know. You don't know. But you do have a sense that there is something that's impending, something that is coming. And this is the case for Joseph in this season of his life and the season of the life of this country, Pharaoh's people, the land of Egypt. There is a seemingly this sense that fall is here but winter is coming which is it was well, probably a little bit of both and God is going to begin to weave the story of Joseph's life into one whole story Joseph has this understanding this perception this this idea that his life is in like all men, he's, he thinks like a waffle. You know, the, you know the analogy, waffles? And women are like spaghetti. Are we familiar with the analogy? No, you don't know? Women are like spaghetti, men are like waffles. Men compartmentalize and box things up. Like, you know, how you try to get syrup into every little box in your waffle. <laughs> but women are like spaghetti. Everything's connected. They see how these things are connected. Joseph's a waffle. Joseph believes and thinks that there are portions of his life that are un impacted, unaffected by the other. 
That's what he thinks. But that's not true. Because God has been a part of his life from the beginning. And God sees the story of his life as one integrated whole. All of it. Every bit of it. The good and the bad and the ugly and the shameful and the pride. All of it. It's all connected. And Joseph is going to learn that as he moves from fall into winter. And they're all going to become connected. It says this. Genesis 42, when Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, what does he say? Say it with me. This is just fun to say. Why are you standing around looking at one another? Jacob is this quintessential father, right? He says the most unbelievable things. He's unkind. He's abrupt. He's harsh. I'm not slamming on fathers. I'm a dad. Uh, but I can do this. And I had did this many times as a dad. He says, why are you staying? And, and you, so when you look at the, when you look at the Hebrew, the, the, I thought there would be some Hebrew idiom, but it's not. It's just, he just said this. He said, just like it is in English, there's no real magic to it. Why are you standing around looking at each other? And, and there's this implication that it's pointless and aimless. I said this to my boys numerous times. I've heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. And so we move from this moment in time where there's severe famine throughout the world and we haven't heard about Jacob. We haven't heard about the brothers in forever. And all of a sudden in Genesis 42, they show up again. And they show up again because they're experiencing the very thing that is being experienced in Egypt as well. Since Joseph was governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground, and Joseph recognized his brothers instantly. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. What does he say? Where are you from? Harshly. Now, you could imagine that Joseph looked quite like an Egyptian. He had grown up in Egypt. He had Egypt culture. He, he, was, he was, by all intents and purposes, nobody had forgotten that was close to Joseph. Nobody had forgotten that he was a Hebrew. But he probably looked like an Egyptian. His brothers show up looking like from whence they came, Hebrews. Jewish, Jewish men, and they come before Joseph and they do not recognize him. In this moment, see if you could put yourself in Joseph's emotional spot. Joseph is, he's face to face with the most difficult season of his life, unexpected. He didn't know what was gonna happen that day. He didn't understand who was just down the road, making their way into his company. And now he sees them. Joseph is probably somewhere around 38, 39, maybe 40 at this point in his life. The last time he had seen any of his brothers, he was, do you remember how old he was? 17, that's right. Uh, Just in the middle of, hormonal puberty he wasn't even did his brain wasn't even connected to his stem at that point in time 
He just, no, no offense to anybody that's, <laughs> who has a disconnected brain at the moment. But that's one of God's gifts to get us through adolescence. I promise you it is. And so there he is, face to face with him. And he remembers every bit of it in vivid memory. And so the fear, the, the, the shame, the, the PTSD that would have surfaced in that moment, all of it. And Joseph, he did not want to face any of it, not one bit of it, not at all. The last verse we read last week that you read together with Dave in Genesis, this was the verse. During this time, this was, this was before the famine, but Joseph's about the business of helping Pharaoh prepare and all of Egypt prepare for the famine. During this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife. Joseph named his older son, say it with me, Manasseh, for he said, God has made me what? Forget what? Forget what? All my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Have you caught that before? This is what Joseph does. He has another son named Ephraim, and, and he says, I named him Ephraim because God has made me fruitful. That's what Ephraim means, in this land of my what? With both sons' names, the history of Joseph's origin story to even get to Egypt is encompassed. And can you imagine what it would have been like for Joseph to have these two, two boys born into his family. And now he's thinking about not only his heritage and his lineage and his history, but he's thinking about sons and how sons behave. He's thinking about siblings and how they treat one another, how they either care or do not care for one another. Uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, they bring all of this to the surface to Joseph, probably that would have occurred throughout the pregnancies of these two boys. So much so that Joseph names his son, his older son, his first offspring, what does he name him? Manasseh, which means I forget. I forget. And it says right there, Genesis 41, because God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Is that true? No, it's not true. That's what Joseph thought. I have, I've gone on and I've had a life and look at my life now. I mean, sure, I did a little time in prison, right? Unjustly, but I was there. I was there. I found my way out of that. I find myself in the company of Pharaoh and now I'm leading and I'm doing all the things and I'm successful and I have position and I have everything that I need. I mean, life has dealt me some severe, incredibly difficult, emotionally traumatic blows, but now this is where I am and God has put all of that behind me. Is that true? No, it's not true. It's not true at all. His family is going to make their way to Joseph's doorstep. And his brothers show up. And it is to him that his brothers came. And the next three 
that chapter and the next two that follow, these three chapters, Genesis 42, 43, and 44, are an incredible story. You should read it for yourself. You should take some time and read it and dig into it and, and, and watch Joseph deal with himself processing all of the feelings and emotions that come with the fact that his brother showed up on his doorstep and what to do. It's, it's, he's working out his feelings. He's trying to figure out how he, what he actually thinks about his brothers. Who are they now? How have they changed? I mean, it's been, it's been a long time. It's probably been 20 plus years. They've changed. He's changed all kinds of things. He's trying to figure all of this out. And in this, in the intensity of it all that makes all of this up, this is probably one of Joseph's most difficult and painful and emotionally trying winters. And Joseph has been through some winters. He was in a winter on the caravan all the way from home. He was in a winter when he found himself in prison. He's in a winter when uh, the gentleman forgot his name after he left the prison. He's in a winter but this is one of his most difficult winters for sure. Donna's been reading a book lately. It's called Wintering. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've read it. It's, it's a very good book. It's more memoir than anything else. But Catherine May details the, the power of a winter and even the, the point behind winter and what winter is all about. And her words are very helpful. And so it, this is a good moment in time for us to say, just pause for a moment and remember what this metaphor of seasons is all about, the usefulness of this metaphor in our life. A life has all of the seasons. And we can think about a life from beginning to end, moving from, from spring to summer to fall and to winter over the course of 80 years or whatever. We don't know how long our life will be. But we also experience every one of these seasons over and over and over again. We experience them in jobs, relationships. We experience them in our endeavors or our hopes or just in the thoughts and the feelings, emotions of our own heart. We experience all of these seasons over and over and over again. And when we do, the key piece, the most important thing I believe, this is just me, my opinion, is discerning the season, understanding the season that you're in, because the activities that you engage in, the endeavors, the efforts, the energy that you expend must match up to the season, because if not, you'll find yourself sowing seed in the winter and it goes nowhere. You'll find yourself trying to reap a harvest and there's nothing there to reap. If you understand the season that it's in, then you would obviously try to pick and choose where you're going to spend your energy and what you're going to be looking for and what happened before and how does it affect what's coming. It's the whole point of this series is that we would discern the seasons that we're in. And you can be in one season in your career, one season in your relationship with your grandkids, another season in your marriage and so on and so forth. So discerning these seasons is, is important. Here's what Catherine May says about winter. Everybody winters at one time or another. Some winter over and over again. Wintering is a season in the cold. It is a fallow period in life when you're cut off from the world, feeling rejected, sidelined, blocked from progress, or cast into the role of an outsider. How many times do you think Joseph experienced winter? She goes on to say this. Perhaps it results from an illness or a life event, such as bereavement, the birth of a child. Perhaps it comes from a humiliation or a failure. 
Perhaps you're in a period of transition and have temporary, temporarily fallen between two worlds. She goes on to say that sometimes winter creeps in just bit by bit. You barely even know it. And she says sometimes winter shows up all of a sudden with such an appalling, appalling immediacy. It just happens and you didn't even know it was coming. And it might be winter for you if you've experienced some of these things that she describes. But she says this, however it arrives, wintering is usually involuntary, lonely, and deeply painful. Of all the seasons that we said, who, who has their favorite season? We talked about favorite seasons. I think that day there was maybe one strange person that picked winter as their favorite. But most of us pick one of the other three for a variety of reasons. Most of us don't choose winter. That's what she means when she says it's involuntary. It comes, it's lonely, it's deeply painful. Although we wake up today and we look out and we see and see the gorgeous, it's beautiful. But also... Temperatures like this or snow like this or cleaning off our driveway like this makes us long for the warm days of spring and summer. And so it's worth pondering for a moment just to consider what endeavor, what relationship, what area of your life might be in late fall or turning to winter or maybe just in the dead of winter, we call it. There's a reason we call it that, right? Is there a part of your life, a part of your world where you're experiencing winter? Now, winter is as essential as every other season. In fact, there are things that happen in winter that are unique to winter that make the other three seasons possible. And without winter, even though we might find ourselves in winter in an involuntary way, it's painful. It's important that we understand the purpose of the season and what we do when we're there. There's a few things I'll point out to you. Winter is a time to rest, waiting. Most of us are not very good at waiting. But in winter, those things that are experienced are centered around wanting Rest. The circadian rhythms of the world, the understanding that we have longer nights and shorter days, all of this is God's creation on purpose. It's the earth tilting away from the sun. It's why we get up to a winter wait. I'm almost there, by the way. And so this is for the purpose, for the purpose of resting and catching up. And winter is about resting and catching up. Dormancy. It's what gives spring the vibrancy and the beauty that eventually will come, but it cannot happen without rest and waiting. Winter is the best time to prune. If you know this, then you've considered it as you've looked out and seen your your plants or your trees or the things that need to be cut back. Winter is the best time to prune. What does that mean for me and you? It's the best time for us to consider What are the things that are a part of my life that shouldn't be a part of my life anymore? And it could be an endeavor, it could be a habit, it could be a friendship, it could be a relationship, it could be any number of things, but winter is the best time to prune. It's true for winter, it's true for us. And it's the best time to learn. It's a time when we 
step aside and say, I don't know that I need to be engaged in the activity of building and all the things that are associated with the hard work of spring and summer and even the harvesting of fall. But winter is a time for me to draw back, rest and prune and learn. Because I'm going to take everything I learned during winter. It's a time when I, I don't know if this is true for you, I'm likely to read more books through the winter. I'm likely to pick up Items that I thought, you know what, I ought to someday take a look at that. I'm, at, I'm likely to pick them up in the winter. All of these things, this is time to research, dig in, digest. This is what winter is about. And not only that, winter is the time to prepare for growth. And growth can happen, but not unless these things happen. And that's what winter is about. Catherine May eventually says this. Plants and animals don't fight the winter. They don't pretend it's not happening and attempt to carry on living the same lives that they lived in the summer. They prepare, they adapt. They perform extraordinary acts of metamorphosis to get them through. And so we face winter. We call it for what it is and we embrace what God is doing in the middle of a winter. She says, winter is a time of withdrawing from the world maximizing scant resources, carrying out acts of brutal efficiency and vanishing from sight. But that's where the transformation occurs. Winter is not the death of the life cycle, but it's what? That's incredible. You know what a crucible is? A crucible is this container, usually metal or ceramic that Things are either broken into, melted into, poured into, and reformed and made into something new and beautiful. It's this container. Winter is the crucible. So if you're in winter, you're going through difficulty or pain or struggle, it is not the death of the life cycle. What follows winter? Say it. Now, come on. What follows winter? Say it. Spring follows winter. Without winter, you do not have spring. Winter is critical to all of it. Pieced together, it becomes a crucible. And this is what's going to happen to Joseph. After the the games of those uh, three chapters, Genesis 42 and so on, the, the shenanigans back and forth with his brothers is absolutely incredible. Here's what happens. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and this is after some trips back and forth. You got to read it all for yourself. And he said to his attendants, out all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. And he just didn't cry a few man tears. I mean, he wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. This is the crucible. This is God saying to Joseph, every part of your life is a part of this whole story. You wanted so much to forget what happened, but I'm gonna heal that place. You wanted so much to believe that I wasn't with you then, but I was. I was in the middle of all of it. I was with you from beginning to end. Now why in the world would God bring all of this back up for Joseph. Why would he do that? Why would God allow such a painful part of his history to now become part 
of his presence. Here's why. Remember? But the Lord was what? Was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his what? It's God saying, I was with you. I'm with you in the winter. Look, if, if you find yourself in winter right now, I'm asking our servers to make their way into the room. And if you are at home, know and believe that this communion experience that we have, it's in community. We believe that spiritually speaking, it includes you as well. And so we'd love for you to have your elements. That as we think about communion, there is no better description of what is expressed through the sacrament of communion than the faithful love of God. And whatever winter you have been through, you didn't just come through it so you could put it behind you and forget it. This is why Jesus says, in connection to these elements, even though we'd want to say Manasseh to all of those harmful, painful experiences of our life, we want to say Manasseh. Lord, I just want to forget that. God says, no, 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 bring it, bring it with, bring it with. It's part of all of it, the experience that we have. And Jesus says, with these elements that represent the destruction of his body and the pouring out of his blood, he says, this word, the opposite of Manasseh, what's the word that he uses? Remember. Remember. Do this to remember me. Jesus does this calling to mind what would have been the most gruesome, difficult, painful, lonely time of his life, his winter in the Garden of Gethsemane, so that you can bring your winter into his presence as well. The most difficult, painful, hurtful times of your life, to know that in those moments, what was true then is also true now, but the Lord was with you, expressing all the while his faithful love. And so in these elements, we find God's love. Jesus held the bread up. He broke it in front of his friends. And he says, take and eat. This is my body. It's broken for you. And then he held up the cup of Passover. And as he held it up, he said to his friends, take this and drink it, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant and it is poured out for you. Forgiveness and mercy comes flowing your way. And so Lord, in these moments, we received these, the gifts of God for us, the people of God, present in this place and in our homes. Lord, we receive these gifts knowing that they represent the death and the burial and ultimately the resurrection of your son Jesus we receive them from our friends our family members and in the absence of some of our friends even yet this morning we recognize that we are still one unified family finding our way forward leaning on one another trusting you that you will bring your faithful love and so Lord for those of us who find ourselves in a winter in one place or another in our lives we recognize that the Garden of Gethsemane places you with us in heart and in mind. And we receive your love, your faithful love, your hesed, your unrelenting, unconditional loving kindness 
we receive it to the depths of our lives, even the things that we would rather forget. And so we hear the words that you say, Lord, to your friends, the disciples, the night before you were killed, to remember. And so we remember now. And we pray that as we take communion together, we will feel bathed and engulfed in your loving kindness. In the name of Jesus, we all pray together and we say, Amen.